BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast. I'm Justin Dunk, joined by John Hodge and J.C. Abbott. Today, we're discussing Canadian quarterback Nathan Rourke signing a practice roster agreement with the Jacksonville Jaguars. The passing of longtime CFL coach Rich Stubler. Heck Creighton Trophy watch list for the 2023 U-Sports season. Star NFL quarterback Jalen Hurts sporting a U.S. expansion CFL jersey. And our picks for week 13. But first. For the second straight week, I can't believe I'm saying this, fellas. Our first topic of discussion is the Edmonton Elks in a positive way. They snapped a 22-game home losing streak with a 30-20 to victory over the Ottawa Redblacks in week 12. Canadian quarterback Trey Ford set new single-game career highs in passing yards and rushing yards, leading the way for the team that can suddenly jump the Calgary Stampeders in the West Division standings with a win on Labor Day. Hodge, I know you said no last week, but now that the Elks have won two games in a row, can Edmonton actually contend for a playoff spot? No, I'm still saying no. And you can call me a hater if you want to. That's fine. (laughs) But I will add a caveat this week, which is if they go into McMahon Stadium on Monday, like they did in, in 2021, I'd forgotten that. I looked it up. The Elks have only won once in the last decade on Labor Day, but they did it with Jamie Elizondo as their head coach, and I believe it was Taylor Cornelius as their quarterback, which is wild in in hindsight. But if they can do that, I am officially an Elks believer. Until then, I still have to be skeptical. And that's no disrespect to what Trey Ford has been able to do in a very short time there. He was just named the player of the week and the player of the month, at least offensively, by Pro Football Focus for the CFL. Remarkable performance, new career highs, 317 yards passing, 74 yards rushing. He has been absolutely electric. I know, I mean, the CFL, I think, is generally appointment viewing for most people who listen to the show. But if you're not someone who watches the CFL as appointment viewing on a week-to-week basis, my guess is that Trey Ford is becoming appointment viewing for you. It was a very impressive performance overall for the Elks. I mean, obviously, the Ottawa Red Blacks are struggling, as were the Hamilton Tiger Cats when the Elks beat them two weeks ago, which is why I remain somewhat skeptical. But if they can go into Calgary, despite the fact that the Stamps have lost five of the last six, they're still a dangerous team to at least some extent. 
I need to see one more prove it for the Elks. They'd still be three and nine with that win, but they might only have to get to, let's say, seven, maybe eight wins to potentially make the playoffs in the West. I mean, they say, I hate this cliche, they say the CFL season doesn't start until Labor Day. I disagree. The CFL season started in June, but you can have a little bit, depending on your season, you can have a bit of a come-to-Jesus moment post-Labor Day, and that's what the Edmonton Elks are trying to do. I'm going to be more positive than you, Hodge, because I think this two-game stretch, this classic Labor Day matchup between Calgary and Edmonton and the rematch after it are critical. And if Edmonton can sweep this, they are very much right in the playoff hunt because what's the most important thing in the CFL? Have a better quarterback than your opponent. And right now you look at the other teams that are in the hunt for a playoff spot and you struggle to find somebody that you trust more than Trey Ford at the helm right now. Certainly, he's outdueled Dustin Crum. He's outdueled Taylor Powell. I think it's safe to say that he's a better quarterback right now than those two. And then Jake Dolligauer, Mason Fine in Saskatchewan. I think he has the capacity to be better than both of those guys as well. If he proves it against Jake Mayer and the Calgary Stampeders, then this is a team that can go on a run late in the season. They're, they're in a huge hole. Don't get me wrong. It would be a remarkable feat for them to actually make the playoffs. But it is not a statistical impossibility. And now they've got the guy under center who can make it happen. He's simply electric the plays he makes with his feet. And after two, you know, two weeks ago, two receivers dropped balls that would have pumped up his passing statistics. Eugene Lewis, I think, gave him a, a favor back with that long touchdown at the end of the first half, make a great catch, and then ran it for a touchdown, pumped up those stats for Trey Ford. But in both phases of the game, he's an effective player right now. There are two answers. If Chris Jones would have started Trey Ford earlier in the season, the Elks would be in playoff contention. And yes, I think they will be after this back-to-back set with the Calgary Stampeders. There is much more juice and energy and what is the name for it? I think it's Shitspa behind the Elks right now. I don't even know what language that is, but I think it's a word. Shit, so, Shitspa. Yeah. Not, not, not Shitspa. 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 There we go, my man. Thanks for backing me up when I need you most. That's what Trey Ford is doing for the Elks. He has this team playing with confidence, and he's playing with tons of confidence. The kid's a gamer, okay? Let's not just talk about these two games that he's won, but also that game at home against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, which the Elks should have won if the – defense could have even at least slowed down Drew Brown a little bit after Zach Claris went out of the game. What if that win was on the board, Hodge? Would you think they're a playoff team? I think you might change your tune a little bit. We'll give you a chance to answer that in a second. But Fair enough. the Elks are absolutely in the mix right now, and I think they can beat the Stampeders back-to-back who just don't have the mojo. If it's the offense putting up a bunch of points, the defense gives up a bunch. If it's the defense holding teams in games for the Stampeders, the offense ain't playing very well, and I still don't have faith in Jake Mayer being a consistent, productive quarterback week in and week out. I would argue right now, That if you had to pick for the long-term future of your franchise, who would you rather have, Jake Mayer or Trey Ford? Yes, he's Canadian, and I'm biased, but I would rather have Ford. I would take Ford as well. And I do want to give Jake Mayer some credit. Four tutties, no picks against the Argos is a great stat line. He played with lots of chutzpah, one could say, which for the record is a Yiddish (laughs) 
word. Shout out to my Jewish in-laws who have taught me some of the language and culture that goes along with their ancestry. But, I learned it from Seinfeld. Yeah, that's fair. Um, and that also doesn't surprise me. Um, <laughs> but getting back to getting back to the Elks, getting back to the Elks, this team, I mean, yeah, yeah, you you, you take Trey Ford, obviously. I mean, what he's able to do. The, he he made Adam O'Claire, who's a very good defensive player, by the way, for the Ottawa Red Blacks, look absolutely silly trying to track him down as a spy on Ottawa's defense, the way that he was able to break contain. And Ben Grant wrote a fantastic column for us at Three Down Nation this week on Ben's breakdown, talking about how while Trey has obviously lit it up as a runner, he's doing it in a pass-first mindset. He's going through his reads, and he's making good decisions. He's only got one pick in three games. you got to like that ratio, four touchdowns to one pick so far as a starter. And... You know, a lot of young quarterbacks, especially guys with elite speed like Trey Ford, who ran a four four two at the CFL Combine, they they have one read, right? And then they take off. And that is not what Ford is doing. He's he's not throwing the ball that much because he's picking his spots and he's not trying to force anything that's not there. So I really like what I see. Another thing I will say to be more positive, JC, if that's what you want to hear, I liked that Edmonton was able to get this done without any turnovers. Right. And I don't mean that on offensive. I mean, defensively, they limited Ottawa to 287 yards from scrimmage. However, they didn't get the big takeaway that Chris Jones's defense is kind of known for doing. They didn't win the game on a pick six or because they had a late fumble recovery. They didn't get a single takeaway from their defense. And yet they not only won the game, but they won it by a wide margin. I actually thought that 30 20 score of this game flattered the Red Blacks a little bit. I thought it was more one sided than that. So kudos to the Elks. I just need one more week for them to show me because as good as they've been for the last three games, you know, and I agree, they probably should have won that one before. They've only got six games to go after this week. That's not a lot of time to make up the massive hole that they dug themselves, which I agree, by the way, with you, Dunk, wouldn't have been there had they started, or at least it wouldn't have been nearly as deep had they started Trey Ford significantly earlier. From one Canadian quarterback sensation to another, Nathan Rourke was waived by the Jacksonville Jaguars on Tuesday despite outperforming veteran backup C.J. Beathard in the preseason. Head coach Doug Peterson said there is never a competition for the backup spot in Jacksonville despite Rourke being given assurance that there would be when he signed with the team this past offseason. Rourke has since cleared waivers and signed onto the Jaguars practice squad. What do you make of this situation, Dunk? There's so much at play here, and we could do an entire podcast just on the Rourke situation, so I'll try to condense it down real quick. First of all, this is a hard dose of reality for Nathan Rourke and a lot of Canadian football fans who know that he can compete in the NFL, and he is better than a lot of backup quarterbacks currently on 53-man active rosters right now. That leads me into the issue that is NFL politics for players trying to make the jump, mainly from the CFL. I don't think it necessarily has to do anything with Rourke being Canadian as to why he has not been given a legitimate chance to be the number two in Jacksonville or elsewhere in the NFL. I think it is NFL arrogance. And for as much as the NFL wants to pump its chest out and say they're the best sports league in the world and they have the highest level of competition well at the quarterback position and at least in this instance 
I don't think they actually want competition. They want to have their guy that's installed. Obviously, that's going to be Trevor Lawrence. He was the number one overall pick in, I believe it was, the 2021 NFL draft. So that's understandable, right? You've committed millions of dollars to him. But what we've seen more and more in the NFL, and I'm sure if you asked Bo Levi Mitchell this, he would agree, is that teams don't want a competitor at that number two spot. They want somebody to be a friend of the starter and help them prepare for games and not necessarily be the best option in case that player happens to get hurt in football, which happens all the time. So full credit to the San Francisco 49ers for trading Trey Lance, who was a high draft pick in the first round. They gave up a bunch of draft capital, but they admitted their mistake and they moved on to a player who before he started in the NFL and Brock Purdy, was essentially an undrafted free agent. He was Mr. Irrelevant. So kudos to the 49ers because they are the anomaly here. They are the outlier in the NFL because I think that's what it's going to take other than two quarterback injuries or one quarterback injury happening in Jacksonville. And I don't want to see Trevor Lawrence get hurt, but the reality is there's going to be quarterbacks get hurt in the NFL this season at some point in time. So if Lawrence gets hurt, Beathard either plays terribly or gets hurt, then that's where Rourke could get on the field kind of in the same way that Chris Strebler got on the field with the Arizona Cardinals. And hopefully when that chance comes, Rourke is prepared and will play well with it. And I believe he will, but he's going to have to be very patient here because the politics of the NFL are at play. Do I think it's because he's Canadian? No. Do I think it's because he's come from the CFL? Partially, yes. You look at guys who are in positions in the NFL now, backup quarterbacks are getting legitimate opportunities to compete And there are players, JC, I'm sure you can speak to this more than I can, that have come from the XFL in particular and have gotten legit opportunities. And I think it's just because it's an American game and the Americans like to have their nose up in the air, rightfully or wrongfully, about football. So there is so much at play here. But ultimately, I think for this year, the best place for Rourke to be is with the Jacksonville Jaguars. He now knows that offense. He's comfortable in it. He's developed a relationship of sorts with Doug Peterson and Press Taylor, the offense coordinator, and Mike McCoy, the quarterback's coach there in Jacksonville. And I think if he goes along here and can develop, there's a potential for a lot of upside in the future. And I think the flip side of this, guys, that we got to understand here is the fact that he has a job, right? The Jaguars want to keep him on the practice roster And there's that third emergency quarterback rule, which could see him moved up and onto the active roster at any given time this season. I've got three things. One dunk, I will say, I think you're only partially right when you said that Rourke is better than a lot of backups, because I think he's actually better than a couple of starters in the NFL right now. Sam Howell is going to be the starter reportedly for the Washington Commanders in week one. He's got a grand total of 169 career passing yards. Maybe he explodes onto the scene, but if given the choice between the two, I'm taking Nathan Rourke. Bit of a caveat here because Kyler Murray's out with injury, but the Arizona Cardinals are out here starting either Josh Dobbs or Clayton Toon, the tuna fish, which I, I admittedly have not heard as a nickname, but right here on the Three Down Nation podcast, we're going to start calling him the tuna fish if he ever pops off. Let that, let that be shown in the record book. John Hodge, Three Down Nation, gives the tuna fish the nickname. But secondly, I will say a lot of people, and I've heard this argument from people 
on online, a lot of them CFL haters or people who just, as you laid out, Dunk, don't understand the politics of the league. And they always say, well, the number one thing that any NFL coach or personnel guy cares about is winning games. And they're going to make decisions based off of that. And I want to say it, and I've said it on the show before, not recently, but I've said it. I'll say it again. That is not remotely true. The number one piece of, or the number one goal that these coaches and personnel people have is to keep their jobs. That is their number one goal. Now, winning is a great way to do that, but their number one goal is to not get fired, right? Is to get that next contract extension and keep earning the lucrative dollars that that are available, right? Not just at the NFL level, but also at the Power 5 college level as well. So if you want to keep your job, you don't want to admit that you've made a mistake in the draft or that a flyer that you brought into training camp might be better than a guy you've already guaranteed millions of dollars to. So you you keep the party line, right? You tow it and you hope for the best that nobody points out that you completely mishandled the situation, right? And then thirdly and finally, I will say as far as Nathan on the PR goes, I'm very curious to see if and when Trevor Lawrence gets hurt, if that that is actually the course of action the Jaguars will take. Are they actually going to give C.J. Beathard the ball and let him ride things out? Or how quickly are we going to see Nathan work off the bench? Because I suspect that if Trevor Lawrence goes down, which obviously no one's hoping for, he's a great young player and he's a very exciting quarterback to watch. But I'm betting that we're going to see Nathan work sooner rather than later. That's just my hunch. That's my prediction. I think you both touched on it, but it bears repeating a third time because my social media timeline has been filled with people saying, like, how dare you? How dare you say, think you know these roster decisions better than NFL decision makers? Clearly, they're putting the best player in the best position, right? That's how these decisions are made. The idea that any professional sport, let alone the NFL, is a pure meritocracy is completely ludicrous. There are, there's money involved. There's you know assets involved, right? You put an investment into a player when you either draft them a certain way or you sign them for a certain amount of money. Those things play into decision making every year, right? It doesn't matter how bad your first round pick looks in training camp. You're not going to cut them for two, three years. You might cut a seventh rounder. You might cut a sixth rounder. You'll definitely cut an undrafted guy. But that first round guy can be far worse than any of those other guys. And you'll still hang on to him. You'll give him every opportunity to succeed even when he doesn't deserve it because you've made that investment. Obviously, this situation is not quite to that extreme, but they have guaranteed money to C.J. Beathard here. And with Nathan Rourke, He's a very low-cost guy, right? He's coming in as essentially an undrafted free agent because he had never signed an NFL contract before. Perhaps had the situation been different and Nathan Rourke had gotten an NFL opportunity coming straight out of Ohio and then come to the CFL, and we would have had a Cameron Wake situation where there's a bidding war and there's a larger type of contract and a team had to invest in Nathan Rourke in order to lure him in, maybe that would have changed the decision-making process for the Jacksonville Jaguars. But right now, there is very little risk to them putting him on the PR and just rolling with C.J. Beathard, the guy who they've already paid 
to do this. Frankly, from my perspective, and I'll speak to this a little bit because I don't think Nathan would ever speak this for himself because of the type of guy he is. If I was in his shoes, I'd be right pissed. I'd be mad. I'd be furious, right? Any way you look at this, this, Nathan Rourke was lied to by the Jacksonville Jaguars, right? They said directly to him that he would have the opportunity to compete for a number two job. They did this before they signed C.J. Beathard. Then they went around, they brought Beathard back, and they immediately afterwards, in every comment that Doug Peterson has made, said there's never a competition for a number two. They deceived Nathan Rourke in order to get him away from the other 11 NFL teams that were interested, that may have offered him a different type of opportunity because they wanted him in their building. And they succeeded in doing so. And Nathan is going to be a warrior. He's going to do what he always does. He's going to keep working. And I expect him to find success. But if I was him, I'd be extremely angry at the people who lied to me in order to get them get me to join their organization and frankly that type of business practice should be called out when it happens Nathan Rourke will definitely use that anger as fuel but I'd like to give these NFL personnel men and coaching staffs a test let's say in this case the Jacksonville Jaguars if CJ Beathard and Nathan Rourke were playing with no numbers or no names on their jerseys or no distinguishable traits and you looked at who the best quarterback was, I would love to hear that answer. And I would also love to hear that answer from all of the social media trolls online who are saying, well, this kid's from the CFL. He's never played a snap in a regular season game. He has no business here. How do you know how good he is? Well, we don't actually know how good he is from a football perspective day in and day out because we haven't been in the building behind the scenes with him. But we've talked to a lot of people who have been around him. I've been covering this guy since his high school days at Holy Trinity in Oakville. The rise all the way through this journey that he's taken. And at the highest of levels, he was not faced. Dallas Cowboys, that stadium, Jerry's World, he makes arguably one of the most athletic plays in NFL history. I don't care if it was a preseason game. That's what it was. It was unbelievable. If that was an American undrafted, let's say from a Power 5 conference, he's probably competing with C.J. Beathard for the backup job. So there are so many different ways that you can go with this. But I truly hope, Hodge, the scenario that you laid out, I don't want to see him get hurt, especially because he's now my fantasy starter, Trevor Lawrence. (laughs) But if Lawrence gets hurt and C.J. Beathard sucks or gets hurt, my question would be, does Nathan Wart actually get to play or do they go bring in somebody else? Do they make a trade to get somebody else? And I'll add to this because we've talked about Trey Lance and the Niners as a comparison here. I've talked to CFL and NFL people who have seen Lance in San Francisco and who have now seen Lance in Dallas. And they said he's awful, flat out awful. And the Cowboys go out and trade for him and then cut Will Greer, who was then picked up by another team, I believe it was the commanders. So, Yes, we're looking at this with the Canadian lens and some sort of a red and white bias because we want to see the kid from Canada do well. But you look at that situation, and it just seems silly, right? Lance is getting another opportunity because of where he was drafted. If he didn't have the cachet of being a top-five pick, does Dallas give up a mid-round pick to go and get this guy, or do they stick with Greer, a guy that had known that system and that had shown some flashes of some potential upside? So. Man, there's so much to get to with this situation, but 
knowing Nathan as well as I do, he will use all of this as fuel. And when he gets his opportunity, oh my goodness, I hope the NFL decision makers can finally put away all this bogus political stuff that has kept him off a 53-man active roster with the Jags or otherwise and just judge the player based on what he does on the field. Well, that's easy to do. And by the way, Cameron Wake is the perfect example of why personnel people on either side of the border never know exactly what they're doing. It's always a best guess, right? Nobody in their right mind would look at the career that Cameron Wake had, which is borderline pro football hall of fame worthy and say, Oh yeah, he shouldn't have gotten undrafted because he went undrafted back in 2005 in the NFL had to go up to the CFL to get noticed. Right. And, and this is also a league that a couple of years later had a team take Jamarcus Russell with the first overall pick. Like this is always, and I'm not disparaging them. I'm just saying it's honest, right? It's always a best guess. You never know what these guys are going to be. If you knew the pick with the, every draft on any side, any league, whatever, would literally be the very best player to the very worst player. All Patrick the way down. Mahomes wasn't even a first overall pick, for example. Exactly. I mean, and I didn't he also get taken behind Trent Richardson in that draft? Like, like there yes. were some. I, I might be mixing up the years a little bit, but the point is, he went behind some some very inferior players, and um, it goes without saying. A, a CFL example, the best rookie so far out of the 2023 CFL draft class has been Clark Barnes, who went like 24th overall. Like he was a third round pick and wasn't even the first receiver taken by the Calgary Stampeders. So goes to show it's always the best guess. And like you boys, I hope that Nathan Rourke gets his opportunity because he has earned it and he does deserve it. Longtime CFL defensive coordinator Rich Stubler passed away this week at the age of 74. The Colorado native spent over 30 seasons in the CFL, serving as the defensive coordinator for six different CFL teams. What do you make of his legacy? I mean, it's difficult to quantify just how much Rich Stubler has meant to the overall defensive philosophy of the CFL over the last three decades. But the one number that I think shows it the best. I dig a little digging. And of the nine teams in the league right now, eight of their defensive coordinators either played under or coached with Rich Stubler at some point in their career. Eight of the nine, Noel Thorpe in Montreal being the only exception. Now, this is to varying degrees. Obviously, Chris Jones worked with him only briefly in 2021, but some of this dates back to even before the time in the CFL. Richie Hall, the defensive coordinator in Winnipeg, was a defensive back under Rich Stubler when he was a college player at Colorado State. That's how far his impact dates back in this league. Not every defensive coordinator is going to adopt the same philosophy or is going to be Stubler-esque. But you can see his fingerprints on just about every team and just about every philosophy in the league. And you can't say that about many other coaches in the history of pro football. He is truly an all-time great. A big part of that defensive philosophy, I'll try to explain it because I don't like to get into the X's and L's too much, but is what's called a match defense. And it really helps you, especially in the CFL with a – bigger field. It's sort of a man's own concept, JC. You can correct me if I'm wrong with the way I'm going to describe this, but 
it almost kind of turns into man, but it's based on intermediate routes, short routes, and vertical routes. So if you get a vertical route, it essentially becomes man coverage. But if there's underneath routes, there's various rules depending how you want to run your match scheme. But he kind of made it famous with those Argonaut secondaries that were so good. Guys like Jordan Younger come to mind for me who mm-hmm. ran it really well. Or Donald Steinauer would be one of those guys that was in that match concept. So it was something that you had to practice a lot because you had to be on the same page with – your other defensive backs and also the linebackers too, because they act as wallers. If there's a crosser coming short and underneath, you're a linebacker. You need to affect that. Back in the day, you would get jacked up potentially sometimes if a linebacker saw a crosser coming across the field and they would just eliminate that totally from the play. But that match defense is still something that's very prevalent in the CFL and even in Canadian university football. And when you have a really athletic defensive backfield that has played together for a little while, they can run it at a high level and it allows you to be able to disguise your coverage and also mix up the various blitzes and pressures that you're going to send at the opposing offense. Yeah. I didn't know Stubler personally, but something that I feel very strongly about, and I've said it on the show before, is we need to do a better job of honoring and respecting people and recognizing their accomplishments while they're still with us. And something that I personally have a hard time with is the fact that we essentially don't enshrine assistant coaches into the Canadian Football Hall of Fame. And Rich Stubler, with over 30 years of service, six different teams, five great cups, deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. And if he does get in, Unfortunately, it will be posthumously, and he's not going to get the opportunity to hear all the expressions of appreciation that people had for him. We saw the outpouring, right, from CFL coaches and personnel people online. We saw a lot of them ask about it and their media availabilities, all that stuff. But unfortunately, Stubler, and I'm sure he knew to some extent how well-respected he was and how people felt, but it would have been so much better if he'd had the opportunity to be there and be honored, uh, likely at Tim Hortons Field where the CFL or Canadian football hall of fame game typically takes place and near where that hall is, is physically located. Um, you know, Rich Stubler was a head coach briefly for the Toronto Argonauts. It didn't go super well. He lasted less than a season, but he is a hall of famer through and through. And this isn't just a CFL issue. This is an NFL issue. This is a professional sports issue. Assistant coaches can make or break a team and they can make or break the head coaches under whom, they work and it's it's important that we recognize what rich jubler is able to do and i hope that he is able to get into that hall of fame sooner rather than later though obviously we did wait too long to put him in the bc lions are four point favorites on saturday night for their game against the montreal alouettes both teams are coming off disappointing losses as the lions were upset at home by hamilton and the alouettes got stomped in winnipeg who do you got in this one? I've been extremely disappointed in the BC Lions the last two weeks. I think they've played under the level that they're capable of. Last week, especially, the energy level was a major problem. And frankly, I was surprised by just how honest both quarterback Vern Adams Jr. and head coach Rick Campbell were about that fact. To me, that suggests that there is a change coming that there is going to be some things said this week in practice, and this team is going to come out fired up against the Montreal Alouettes to prove that they deserve to be in the CFL's 
top tier and not the second tier that they are falling into. I am taking the Lions this week, finally turn things around. You know, there has to be some concern within the Lions front office there with these back-to-back losses because everybody was anointing them, the team that was going to come out of the West Division and slay the dragon that is the Winnipeg Blue Bombers that have come out of the West Division for three straight seasons now. But I'm a little worried about this team, and especially because the offensive line has gotten worked a little bit more than we're used to seeing with this group. I think the defense can still be really good. Well, we need to see this offensive line play better because Vernon Adams Jr., to his credit, has played more consistent football. He's cut out the turnovers, especially that we saw flare its ugly head in Toronto in that loss at BMO Field earlier in the season. So I'm going to take the Lions here because I think they're highly motivated. And they also understand that for that game in October to mean anything against Winnipeg for the season series tiebreaker between those two teams, they have to keep pace with the Blue Bombers. So I expect a big-time bounce-back effort. Yeah, I'm going to roll with the Lions as well here because I think they deserve the benefit of the doubt. But right now, I am in the opposite camp with the BC Lions as the Elks. I need to see one more good game for the Elks before I believe in them. I'm only willing to see one more bad game from the Lions before I stop believing in them. So they've got to take advantage here. And let's be frank, the Alouettes looked atrocious in Winnipeg. Surely the Lions can go in there and cover a relatively short spread. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers are seven and a half point favorites over the Saskatchewan Rough Riders on Sunday. The Bombers have won both Labor Day Classics since the CFL returned in 2021, though they've not won three in a row since 1982. Been a while. Can the Bombers win and cover in Regina? I'm taking the Riders this week, boys. And that's Whoa. not to say I don't think that the Bombers are the better team. Winnipeg went in there in week two, 145 to 27. But I have a hard time in any year seeing Winnipeg go into Saskatchewan and win twice. That is a huge ask. I think the Bombers are going to win the Banjo Bowl handily, uh, I guess a week and a half from now. But right now, I'm taking the Riders this week, and I feel good about it. You're getting a touchdown. This is a team that has traditionally, they, they won 11 straight Labor Day Classics from 2005 to 2015. Some of those years, they were the much better team. Some of those teams, they were the worst team. It doesn't seem to matter on Labor Day. I'm rolling with the green and white. That's a shocking pick, especially considering Jake Dolagala is still a quarterback for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. <laughs> he looked good against the BC Lions, but... We saw some cracks in the second half as the Lions started to mount their comebacks. I think that's more of the Jake Dolagala that we'll get to see this week. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers are clearly the better team. I'm taking them to win, but because the Riders are coming off a bye week and it is Labor Day and anything can happen, I will pick the Riders to cover if this line is above six and a half. There are a couple things that worry me here. First of all, the Rough Riders coming off a bye week. And second of all, the Blue Bombers absolutely dominating the Alouettes because we know the Bombers can bounce back from outings that they don't play so well in. And even though they got a win in Calgary, I think a lot of people around that Winnipeg football club felt like it was a loss just based on the way that they played. So it's an ideal spot to lay the points with the Riders at home, a big-time underdog in the Labor Day Classic. So that's what I'm going to do. But I still think 
the Bombers find a way to win the game because I'm with JC here. Jake Dolagala was great, but Sam Emelis ain't going to make catches on top of people's heads all <laughs> the time. I think he can continue to do it here and there, but there were some errant throws there. I felt like that Emelis went and got, especially that unbelievable catch of the year candidate that he jumped up using his near 40-inch vertical and caught for a touchdown. So I think the Riders have some things going their way, but remember how Jake Dolagala looked, was it last year in the Banjo Bowl? I know there was a sickness going through the Riders at that point. It wasn't so good. He's got much more experience now, but I feel good about taking the Riders plus the points, as long as they stay over a touchdown. If it gets under a touchdown, then I'm taking the Bombers. The Toronto Argonauts are eight-point favorites for Monday's Battle of Ontario in Steeltown. The Argos are flying high after a 39-31 win over the Calgary Stampeders, though the Ticats showed signs of life in an impressive win in Vancouver last week. Toronto snapped a seven-game losing streak on Labor Day last year. Can they beat Hamilton again in 2023? I definitely think they can. And guys, you remember that game last year where the Bombers went to Hamilton and the Ticats absolutely put them on them, and it ended up being an anomaly, and we'll probably never see a game like that again from Dane Evans and his CFL career. I think that's what happened last week in BC. The Lions got caught napping a little bit at home, and the Ticats went into a situation where they're usually not good on the West Coast, but I think that 4 p.m. local time, start time, helped the Tiger Cats in that ball game. but we ain't talking about the BC Lions. We're talking about the Toronto Argonauts, arguably the deepest team in the CFL, a team that takes care of the football, a team whose offensive line is really good, a team who has consistently gotten after the passer. And Chad Kelly has shown if you punch him, he'll punch you right back and he might hit you with a knockout punch. So I wonder if the Tiger Cats had done what we all thought they would have done and lost last week in BC, if this line would have been one of the biggest lines of the season, I definitely think it would have been double digits. So I feel like I'm getting value here with the double blue. So sign me up for Chad Kelly and the Argonauts to go into Tiger Town. Yes, on Labor Day where anything can happen, but I don't care. The Argos are winning and covering. I'm going to take the Ticats to cover here, but I am taking oh the Toronto goodness. Argonauts. I am taking the Toronto Argonauts to win. The Steel Town fans are rabid they are ruthless they are crass they are full of chutzpah boys and so i think that will keep this game close or at least help keep this game close the argos i think are going to absolutely dominate the next meeting between these two teams but for now with the game in hamilton i am taking the argos to win but the ticats to cover with all due respect, Hodge, this matchup is not even close. Chad Kelly eats ruthless chutzpah for breakfast. Come on now. This is a guy who went in to the University of Alabama and won with Ole Miss. Tim Hortons Field is nothing to this guy. He's going to put up major points, and Hamilton does not have an offense that can come from behind and win with Taylor Powell at quarterback. Take the Argos, take all the points, eat them all up. It should be said that I'm pretty sure we all picked BC last week and we probably all look pretty stupid for the people watching those videos back in. If I do remember that Seinfeld episode right, weren't they talking about the proper pronunciation 
of Hoots Paw or Shits Paw or I've, Shoots Paw or however you're supposed to say I've, it. I've never seen an episode of Seinfeld in my life because I'm oh under the age of How 35. How are you alive, bro? Because I'm under the age of 35 and other TV shows exist, which I know is something that what? Seinfeld fans. This is the only TV show that you ever need to see about life coming from a farm boy who had rabbit ear TVs and barely got any TV shows. Seinfeld, you got to see it, Hodge. At least watch you, this one. Do you think the fact that. Right. Do you think the fact that you had access to like three shows might have affected your taste a little bit? Uh, it's possible. <laughs> there you go. I'm 26. What's what's Seinfeld? <laughs> what, what is this? What are you talking about? It's a it's a show that it's a show that Gen Xers talk about way too much. That's what it is. Ah, I see. <laughs> I don't think there'll ever be a show greater in the history of television or whatever it turns into in the future. You have to watch The Wire then, because. Uh, it's better. No, that's Seinfeld. overrated, man. Oh, come, on. come on now. Seinfeld applies to real life situations all the time. Boys, it's your generation. It's evergreen, okay? On the internet. It can live forever. What did you say, JC? I said we're gonna have to cut this segment. No, we're not cutting this segment. It's gonna <laughs> no, stay. Seinfeld in. stays we're just, in we're just having a, a, a separate video in between all our picks of Justin Dunk's defense of Seinfeld. That's yeah, that's the all SEO we're doing. that would be great. The Calgary Stampeders are five point favorites in the Battle of Alberta, despite the Elks coming off two straight dubs, if you didn't already know. Jake Merritt got his mojo back against Toronto last week as he threw for four touchdown passes, but it didn't matter because he didn't win, boys. Can Edmonton do the unthinkable? I don't think it's so unthinkable, though, and win a third straight game. I'm rolling with the Stamps this week, and I have been as critical of the Stamps as anybody this season, but the reason I have faith in Calgary this week is I thought the Red Blacks did a very poor job of game planning against Trey Ford, and I think Brett Monson is a lot smarter than that in Calgary as a defensive coordinator. I think they've got the tools that they need, i.e. Cam Judge, to spy him more effectively, and I think that Monson is going to do a much better job of scheming that offense that, let's also say this, has a significant amount more film on it than it did even just a couple of weeks ago since Jarius Jackson took over. So I'm going to take the Calgary Stampeders for that reason, but boys, I will not be surprised at all if Edmonton wins this week and in turn, in doing so, wins my favor. I think you make a very sage point there, Hodge. Cameron Judge might be the only linebacker in the entire CFL who is athletic enough to match Trey Ford's stride for stride. Of course, he ran a 4-5 coming out of UCLA. Trey Ford ran in the 4-4s. It's going to be a, an interesting matchup between those two. But to, to me, this game comes down to two people, Dave Dickinson and Mark Mueller, on the offensive side of the ball for the Calgary Stampeders. Because we saw that passing offense come to life last week after doing almost nothing for the four weeks prior. But they lost. Do they take the right lesson from that game and see that as an effective strategy going forward? If they do... They're going to win. But if they take the wrong lesson like they did earlier in the season when they opened things up, had an inopportune turnover and lost and decided to shut that whole offense down, if they take that lesson and go back to what Jake Mayer was going doing before, three yards a target, dink and dunk, 
this team will lose to the Edmonton Elks. I think they take the right lesson. I'm picking the Stampeders, but it comes down to those two. This is one of those lines that make me think that CFL odds makers don't have access to enough stats. But um, because I don't think that the Stamps should be five point favorites at home. The Elks, you could argue, should be small favorites or potentially even a pick 'em game with the way both these teams are playing right now. So I'll take the Edmonton Elks on the spread. I'll take the Edmonton Elks on that juicy money line because I love me some Trey Ford. And I hope this young dude continues to show that U Sports, CIS, CIAU, Canadian University quarterbacks can ball in this league for the future. Because I think there are a number of guys over the years that could have done it but didn't get the opportunity. That's the most important part here. So I hope Trey Ford continues to have his star rise. And for this week in particular, because it can fill our money with some nice value on the money line. And I will say one more thing. I hope that McMahon Stadium is full this weekend. Mm. The Edmonton Elks had almost 24,000 at home this past week, despite losing the previous 22 games in a row at Commonwealth Stadium. Now that number was buoyed by some evacuees from the Northwest Territories. Uh, very, By the way, credit to the Edmonton Elks for that initiative. That was awesome. But if they can get 24,000 after losing 22 games in a row, surely the Calgary Stampeders can get 25, 28, 30,000 on Labor Day. There's going to be Elks fans there. Hopefully that attendance is solid. It's now time for Hodges Heritage Moment. We're one day early on this, boys, but it's too good to pass up. On this day in 2015, the Saskatchewan Roughriders fired head coach Corey Chamberlain and general manager Brendan Taman. The team was less than two years removed from a Grey Cup title and had gone 10-8 and the previous season, losing to Edmonton in the West semifinal. 2015 was a disaster, however, with the Riders starting the season 0-9 following an Achilles injury to Darian Durant in Week 1. Saskatchewan named Bob Dice as its interim head coach and Jeremy O'Day as the interim general manager, though both would be replaced by Chris Jones ahead of the 2016 season. With hindsight being 2020, Dunk, was the firing of Chamberlain and Taman warranted? I don't think it was at all. You look at that scenario, Darren Durant got hurt, and that essentially derailed their season. Yes, should they have a backup quarterback who's capable of winning games? Probably so, but they went through a number of guys, and you look at the current GM and Jeremy O'Day, and he's been allowed to switch quarterbacks a couple of times here, going from Zach Kolaris to Cody Fajardo to now Trevor Harris. So I think if you went back in time, probably would have said that Corey Chamlin got a little too high on his horse after that Grey Cup win in 2013. And obviously it was a biggie for the Rough Riders, but I think that regime should have gotten an opportunity to make things right the next year and show that they could bring in another quarterback or stick with Darian and have a proven backup there behind him because I don't necessarily think they were that bad of a football team that year. There was just a bunch of things that went against them kind of in a similar way to the Elks this year. So no, I don't think it was warranted, but you can understand the pressure building there in Ryderville for a winless team. Yeah, I I agree with you there. This was a team that I thought was a little bit on the decline at the time. But I have a hard time making personnel changes when your starting quarterback goes down. That's the guy you're riding on. And you can't blame a head coach or a general manager when you lose your franchise guy. In, in this case, I think that's what happened. The Riders, of course, 
didn't have a, a competent backup in place. And that is partially on the fault of, uh, of Brendan Tamman. But that's not a situation that you necessarily plan for in professional football when you have a guy like Darian Durant. I would agree with you boys. However, I think you're forgetting that Corey Chamberlain had a second go around as a head coach of the CFL in 2019 with the Toronto Argonauts who were objectively terrible. So yes, on the one hand, you, you hate to see guys get fired. You like to see guys get longer leashes, especially because for the reason you laid out, this was largely a quarterback injury firing, but it's not like Chamberlain did the most that he could with his next opportunity. Taman, on the other hand, now in personnel with the Ottawa Red Blacks, the jury is still out on that team, though they have lost five straight games. I mean, that's the thing to me. I think if you want to make a move, you let Corey Chamlin go and see if the personnel department can get it right. And they thought Darian Durant could still play. And if he didn't suffer that Achilles injury, perhaps he would have had a great season. We'll never really know, obviously. But it's one of the interesting questions that you can get into with a lot of teams. Let's go to the three-minute drill, boys. The BC Lions have seen their Grey Cup odds to win the 2023 CFL Championship grow to plus 500 following back-to-back losses to Saskatchewan and Hamilton. Are the Lions a decent value at that price? I think they're a decent value, though at this rate, they're going to have to go into a freezing cold IG field in November and win a playoff game there. And I know they're led by JC's MOP, but I don't like their chances of doing that. So for me, I want these odds to get jacked up a little bit more before I put any money on the BC Lions. Maybe it'll happen this week if they lose to Montreal. Canadian quarterback Curtis Rourke, the younger brother of Nathan Rourke, led the first edition of the CFL Scouting Bureau rankings ahead of the 2024 CFL draft. How strong is this class overall? It's an extremely strong class, like a much stronger class than these rankings would even indicate. There's some issues with especially the first scouting bureau rankings every year, missing players because of some of the ways eligibilities are listed. And it should be noted, this is a crop of U-sports talent that is extremely small because of the COVID pandemic. So players from next year's draft have until tomorrow to declare themselves in this year's draft a year early if they were at a U-sports institution for that 2020 canceled season as a freshman and never got to play. So even more talent is coming down the pipeline. If you're a team in need of an offensive lineman, especially, you're going to have your pick of a bunch of future CFL starters. We should be very optimistic about the level of Canadian talent. Tomorrow being Thursday, August 31st. Yes, Thursday, August 31st. That's the that's the broadcaster there and, and Justin making sure I've got all my dates out there. Ticats owner Bob Young is being inducted into the Hamilton Sports Hall of Fame. Is he a worthy selection? He definitely is. You could make an argument that the Tiger Cats might be in a might worse, much worse, excuse me, situation if he didn't take over that team. He's invested a lot of money, time, and effort and created an entity in the Hamilton Sports Group that was now worth money, and he sold a chunk of it. So he's taken that team from a money loser to a money winner and one that people want to invest in. So he is definitely full value for that induction. Braylon Addison made four catches for 27 yards in his much-anticipated season debut for the Red Blacks. Do you think he can ever be the same player he was with Hamilton in 2019? 
He didn't look like the same player he once was this past week, but he's still gearing up. It was one game, so I want to see a larger larger sample size from Bale and Addison. But I got to say, that Red Blacks offense needs to give Dustin Crumb some help. That receiving core simply not good enough right now. Braylon Addison, hopefully he can help fill that void. JC, you created a watch list for 10 players who you think could win this year's Heck Crichton Trophy. If you had to pick one, who is your money on? It's definitely on the reigning Heck Crichton Trophy winner. That's Kevin Mattel, the receiver from the Université de Laval. He was sensational again in their season opener, over 100 yards, two tuggies, just a regular day at the office for the best player in Canadian University football. Philadelphia Eagles star quarterback Jalen Hurts rocked a CFL expansion Birmingham Barracudas jersey before a preseason game. How slick did that look? Bro, it looked nice, man, and much respect to Hurts for putting on that CFL jersey and showing it off because I think some of those U.S. expansion teams, as much as some people make fun of that era, they'll always live in infamy, dare I say, but it was really cool to see him paying tribute to some CFL history. In the story you broke, Hodge, the Green Bay Packers waived Canadian defensive back Tyrell Ford. Should we expect him back with the Blue Bombers anytime soon? No, I don't think we'll see him back in the CFL. And and to be clear, the Bombers own his rights through 2024. So if he does come back north of the border, it will be in Winnipeg. To me, the smart thing for Ford to do here is wait it out and see if he could potentially get a PR opportunity somewhere, potentially even get promoted to an active roster in time. If he does come back to the CFL, the smart thing for him to do would be sign at the very end of the regular season and get that playoff money that Winnipeg is probably going to get come November, be it from the West Final, Grey Cup, whatever. The Laval Rouge Or, you just mentioned them, JC, have started the 2023 season atop the U Sports football rankings. Are they the right choice? I think they absolutely are. They have their key pieces returning. They are the reigning Vanier Cup champions. Until they have a slip-up, they deserve to be at the number one spot. The Western Mustangs defeated the York Lions 83 to nothing. That is the actual score. 83 to nothing in their season opener. How the heck does a game like that finish so lopsided? A lot of this is due to the lack of competence in the York Lions athletic department who are sadly letting these student athletes down, which is what's going on there. A lot of people want to you know, bang on the AUS conference and say that those teams on the East Coast can't compete. Well, this is a scoreline that we haven't seen when those teams compete in the national semifinal. I understand it's a national semifinal, but still, this is just so terrible for the student athletes over at York who are not being supported by the people in power there. If you're going to have a football team, put everything into it and at least make it a competitive one and do all that you can do for these student athletes who are working year round to be the best that they can be on the field and in the classroom to uphold that organization, or I should say that institution that they pay thousands of dollars to go to every year. On that note, we thank you as always for listening to the three down nation podcast. We'll check you out next week for another episode.
everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.